compelling decision every day at the crossroads. All right, hopefully that's better. Today we're going to be in Romans 6, 15 through 19, entitled, Choose Your Master. We are to live as a saint being sanctified by putting away disobedience and embracing righteousness. I want to acknowledge theologians Tom Schreiner, John MacArthur, C.E.B. Cranfield, and Pastor Jeff Rich for their assistance in putting this passage together this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be upon us, Lord, that he would make your words clear what the author's intent was at that time and for their struggles and their season, Lord, what the truths might be, the main points, Lord, the precepts that we are to take away that clearly apply to our lives today. Lord, we are in different seasons. We each struggle in different ways with our sanctification. Lord, we desire to be obedient to you, but yet, yet, we constantly fall short and turn away. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us this morning to apply these truths from our word, from your word, that we would be walking in Christ-likeness with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how do you preach Romans 6 in four sermons? John MacArthur preached 10 sermons on Romans 6. So, if we're going to be successful today in covering verses 15 through 19 in just 40 minutes, Andy, time me, we need to see the biggest possible picture of how Romans 6 fits into the whole book of Romans. And this is what you heard Bobby read this morning during the Scripture reading. Romans 6 plays a pivotal role in Romans Chapters 1 through 3 are all focused on our condemnation, our need for a Savior. Chapters 3 through 5 are all about salvation and being justified in Jesus Christ. Chapters 6 and 7 then focus on sanctification, where Paul teaches on the principle, the practice, the resistance, and yes, the power of sanctification all this is followed by the wonderful chapter 8 that we all love on glorification. We can't wait to get there. It's all about the revelation that we no longer need to be slaves to sin, headed for eternal condemnation in Adam, but we can be slaves to righteousness, destined for eternal glory through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This gospel of Jesus Christ gives God glory because His grace triumphs over our sins. As we have covered in the last two sermons on Romans 6, we are freed from our slavery to sin by God's grace. Not so that we can live a life 
of freedom to engage in selfish desires. We are not to glorify ourselves in free grace, but we are freed to righteousness as we walk in Christ's likeness. Now, there's a second question that we begin with in Romans 6, verses 15 through 19. I want you to see if you can find it when we read it together. Now that the past slavery to sin has been broken by Jesus, not only is the dominion of sin broken, but the power of sin itself will diminish day by day as God sanctifies us. So, choose your master. Live as a saint being sanctified by putting away disobedience and embracing righteousness. Now, we're going to look into this passage under three headings in your outline. The crossroads, who will obey? The change, where does obedience come from? And third, the course, what does obedience look like? Paul has been using an analogy of slavery in chapter 6. And he's contrasting our lives as believers, slave to sin, with our lives, our lives as unbelievers as slaves to sin, as our lives to then believers where we are to be slaves of righteousness. In this passage, Paul presents the essential concept of being slaves to obedience. As believers, you choose, you do, you choose who masters you by what you choose to be obedient to. Here's the rub. We all present ourselves as slaves to someone. Everyone who is a believer in this room has two options and only two. Which will you choose to present yourselves to? Sin and Satan or to Jesus Christ? As we start reading Romans 6, verse 15, see if you can identify now the question in this section that Paul is trying to answer. And then compare it with the beginning of chapter 6 in verse 1 to see if this is the same question or a different one. Let's look at it together. Chapter 6, verse 15. We'll read through verse 19. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of sin. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Verse 15, 
starts out by answering the question left for us in verse 14. It says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So the first point in your outline this morning, the crossroads, who will obey? To sin or not to sin? What road will you take? Paul has just commanded his listeners in verse 14 that sin shall not be master over them, for they are under grace rather than being under the law. The question in verse 15 should remind us that the reader, or remind us that Paul started this section in chapter 6, verse 1, when he said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Is Paul asking the same question here, or is it a different question? Although the question is based on a different premise, the response clearly is the same. Emphatically, may it never be. Sin should never increase in a believer's life. Paul is simply following the logic of the argument. Even though believers are no longer under the law, they are not free to live a life of ongoing sin. In other words, they are not free to sin because Jesus has redeemed them from the penalty of their sin under the law. This is not simply a free grace mentality. Being under grace is not freedom from keeping the moral norms of God's law, but rather that they now have the power to keep the law of Christ. The law of Christ. We can see in Mark chapter 12, 29 through 31, summed up as putting God first in all things and loving our neighbors as ourselves. This places the believer at the crossroads. The believer stands at the intersection in verse 16. We know that we are now to present ourselves as slaves for obedience. Verse 16 notes that we have but two choices. We can either be slaves for obedience or we can be slaves unto sin. Let's read it together. Starting in verse 16, we'll read through 18. Verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 16 starts out with a rhetorical question. Do you not know that when you present yourselves as slaves of obedience... So we have a continuous present tense 
of presenting ourselves over and over again to be slaves of obedience. In other words, we are going to be a slave to something. We're going to be a slave to whatever we obey in our daily walk and our fundamental character. This is a present willing choice of whether we are going to obey the sin, which is the flesh, the world, and Satan, or we're going to obey our new master, Jesus Christ. So this is all about sanctified living. It's our day-to-day walk, pursuing righteousness, and that is our calling as believers. You might remember Ephesians 2.10. It states this. Believers are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pastor Jeff preached last week on Luke 11.14-23. through 23. No one is neutral. You either are for or against God. You see, there is no alternative. There is no neutral ground. We are at the crossroads. What will we do this next moment? Will we be mastered by sin? Or or will we allow ourselves to be mastered by Jesus Christ himself? The question then becomes for each of us, which of these two masters are you actually yielding to? Simply stated, living under grace does not give us permission to sin. Sin leads to death, and obedience leads to righteousness. So we again see, just like in the previous sections of Romans 6, there's a clear contrast between sin and obedience. Sin here is concrete acts of sinful behavior that result in death due to an ongoing pattern of disobedience. Where obedience, obedience results in righteousness, which leads to eternal life. Paul is simply reminding us of the constant battle that we face as believers waiting for Christ's second coming. We claim that we are under grace, yet our our conduct day to day shows that we have a propensity to sin against God. In our daily living, we must now be subject to to the Lord Jesus Christ, even though our flesh is still prone to rebellion and enslavement. We are to yield to Christ, and we are to live the life that he has already claimed for us, that was delivered to us at such a great cost to him. So where did our change of obedience come from? The answer to that question we're going to see in point two, starting in verse 17. Let's look at verse 17 and 18 together. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, 
you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. At the start of verse 17, we, say, we see a term that we love over and over again, but. It sets up a contrast. Rather than being a slave to sin that results in death, we thank God that through him we are freed from slavery to sin, and we are now obedient from our heart. Christ is in our heart. Notice in verse 17, though, that we were slaves of sin. Were. This is past tense. We are no longer slaves of sin. We've seen in the first 15 verses of chapter 6 how we died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were resurrected with Christ. We have a new heart a heart of obedience that leads to righteousness. Remember the two fields, the image by Martin Lloyd-Jones? We have a field owned by Satan and one owned by God. And when we are saved and we are restored, we are moved from Satan's field into God's field. And we're in God's field, we are plowing. We are plowing, we have our eyes on Jesus Christ. But we're still being distracted Satan, the world, and our flesh still tries to draw us away, to, to, to get us to come over so close that he can grab us and pull us back into his field. We can be distracted, and we are. We doubt our salvation. We even can fall into egregious sin. Yep. But never, never will God allow Satan to draw us back to be slaves to sin, since we are now willing slaves in the service of Christ, our Redeemer, and our King. Amen? So the question is, what is meant by this phrase, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. What form of teaching? What were we committed to? This is the picture of conversion. It is God's regenerating work in the heart of a person so that they believe, so that they choose to serve Christ instead of their sin. So this is God's sovereign work that works to soften our heart, to change our heart, so that a person would obey the gospel and choose Christ. We have been set free from the power of sin to now be enslaved to righteousness. Before we were converted, we were fully slaves of sin. Romans 3, 10 through 12 states, As it is written, there is none righteous." Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. 
God himself changed our very nature to trust him. Our trusting heart now is able to operate through obedience unto righteousness. Hence, faith and obedience are strictly connected. Conversion in salvation is a work of God according to His foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Not of us. Titus 2.14 tells us, to trust and obey, there's no other way. So obedience unto righteousness is obedience to Jesus Christ in our daily living as we live out his truth from the depth of God's word hidden in our hearts. We pray that you are hiding God's word in your heart by memorizing scripture with us. Obedience to God is of vital importance. But let's be clear for a moment. It is not that obedience caused or upholds our salvation in any way, but rather, for those of us who are saved in Jesus Christ, obedience becomes a clear characteristic that continues to grow in progressive sanctification. Day by day, by the life-changing work of the Holy Spirit through our faith. Further, obedience is not perfection. Perfection waits for the believer in glorification. So the form of teaching to which you were committed in this verse, then, is simply the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be molded into the shape of Jesus Christ. We are to live pursuant of his character. And we do this with an inward commitment motivated by heart change based on the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. One theologian notes, quotes, the believers being addressed here are being delivered up to a pattern of teaching as slaves to a new master. There's a pattern of teaching under Jesus as our new master. We are in the field of God, plowing with our eyes and our heart, glued on the gospel of our Savior and King Jesus Christ. We are right where he wants us to be. So we see the result in verse 18. This is a new state. We have a new master. This is a new state, a state of being freed from sin. However, it involves being a slave. Yep, a slave to righteousness as a present ongoing condition. In short, we must be careful not to align ourselves with sin as preferable to righteousness. It happens. Don't allow yourselves to be distracted, to be captivated by slavery from your former lusts. The challenge is, we think we have been freed from slavery. We think we've been freed from the slavery of sin, and we do not want to be slaves to anything 
We are independent. We don't even want to be slaves to righteousness. Well, I hope this message changes that in your mind today. It did mine. But the truth is, slavery brings freedom. Slavery brings freedom. John MacArthur states, quotes, True freedom can only be found in slavery to Christ. There is no such thing as absolute moral independence. Every person is either a slave to sin or a slave to God. James Montgomery Boyce helps us understand this key point further, stating, quotes, There is no such thing as absolute freedom for anyone. No human is free to do everything he or she might want to do. There is one being in the universe who is totally free, of course, and that is God. But all others are limited by enslavement to someone or something. As a result, the only meaningful question in this area is, who or what will you be serving? Since you and I are beings and not God, we can never be autonomous. We must be slaves to sin or slaves to Jesus Christ. But here's the wonderful and very striking thing. To be a slave of Jesus Christ is true freedom. Close quotes. When you sin, you are behaving as if you are a slave to sin. But you are not a slave to sin as a believer. That's an oxymoron. You are a believer. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a slave to righteousness. Rather, sin is one of those things that you are ashamed about. You feel the heavy hand of God upon you. You're behaving as if you are a slave to sin. But instead, behave as if you are a slave to righteousness, which is different than being a slave to sin. But the logic is, you really only have the two choices. You have been made and created to be a worshiper. What will you worship? You have been created to worship God and to enjoy Him forever, and yet you still live in a fallen state awaiting His second coming. Will you, as you wait, be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? A slave to righteousness is true freedom. Tom Schreiner warns us that, quotes, a slave to righteousness yields good fruit and leads to sanctification and eternal life, whereas being a slave to sin produces shame and eternal punishment as its consequence, close quotes. Now that we see a person cannot just become a Christian by claiming the name of Jesus Christ and yet do and believe whatever they want. The only good alternative 
is that they must pursue obedience to God's truth. And they do that in the Holy Spirit. One of the true measures of genuine salvation is that the believer will have a spirit-led desire to know and obey God's truth. The saving faith in Jesus Christ is all about God's grace. And it's by His grace that we become willing slaves to righteousness. Now, perhaps you're listening here today and you're saying, yes and amen, preach it, brother. Let's put away sin and let's pursue righteousness. We're done, let's go. However, some of you are wondering, why does Paul use the illustration of slavery as a metaphor? Well, Paul anticipated that objection, and he addresses it in verse 19. Let's look at it together as we move into our third and final point, the course. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. It is important here for Paul to be very clear with his audience on this point. Slavery, although very different back in the biblical times in the ancient Near East, still carries a strong negative connotation in America. By Paul presenting the gospel through the lens of slavery, however, he is following the example of Jesus himself. As one scholar explains, quotes, Jesus routinely evoked the figure of slave in his teachings. For modern commentators, slaves and slavery have been first and foremost metaphorical. For Jesus, slaves and slavery were part of the fabric of everyday life. Jesus relied on the figure of the slave in his discourse, not because the troop of slavery was part of his philosophical and his rhetorical inheritance, but because slaves were ubiquitous in the world in which he lived. Close quotes. Paul is not weighing on whether slavery in the ancient Near East was appropriate in any fashion in this passage. But due to the audience's weakness in clearly understanding this essential point, Paul uses the metaphor of slavery to illustrate the main point. And at the end of chapter 6 and end of 7, he's going to use the illustration of marriage to make the similar point. In verses 17 and 18, we've seen that God has freed us from the tyranny of our sin, and therefore we should present our members as slaves to righteousness. God has transferred his people from the dominion of sin into the dominion of righteousness. So Paul is contrasting this past mode of life with how we should be living our lives now as true believers. We were formally presenting our members to slaves, or to be a slave of sin, uncleanliness, lawlessness, and rebellion. You remember it well. 
And now our life is characterized by continually turning away from sin so that we no longer transgress God's moral norms. Instead of falling into habitual patterns of sin, we desire the things that are ultimately greater, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have now become obedient from the heart to the gospel which is planted deep inside of us. We have a new godly desire that we can't help but let bubble out of us as we live our lives day by day, walking subservient to God. Yes, I get it. You and I don't want to be slaves to anything. But as Pastor Jeff preached, there is no neutral ground, none. It's not possible. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And slavery to righteousness is so much better than slavery to sin. Now, the real focus of verse 19, however, is in the second part of the verse. So let's look at it again. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. The key here is the contrast between the results, isn't it? If you present your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, it will result in further lawlessness. This is a downward spiral that we get caught in. We talk about it in practical pastoring and in counseling and discipleship and the one another's. This downward spiral leads us to spiritual disillusionment and eventually depression because we are stuck in a pattern of sin and wrong thinking. But this is not who we are any longer. Remember, believer, be who you are. Don't sin. Because sin leads to more sin, you are a new creation with a new master and a new calling and a new heart. As a believer, from the heart and from the power of the Holy Spirit, you desire godliness and holiness. Your conscience, it burns inside of you. You feel shame when you walk in a way that's not righteous and you're not honoring the Lord. So you turn from your sin now and you present your members as slaves to righteousness which results in sanctification. Paul now shows that this metaphor of slavery is an amazing positive aspect in this passage. Being a slave to righteousness results in sanctification. In our ordinary course as a believer, we will continually grow in sanctification. Our sanctification journey starts when we are converted at regeneration. And it increases throughout our lives. There's peaks, there's valleys. We struggle, we sweat. We're in God's Word, we're with God's people. We rely on the Holy Spirit. 
But our sanctification will not be complete until we are face-to-face with Jesus Christ. It's not about reaching perfect holiness, but rather it's growing in holiness as a heart that's motivated by obedience. But where does this motivation come from? Well, let's not forget John 14, 15, for it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love. So we keep his commandments because we love him, because he first loved us. Our motivation for obeying Jesus comes from the overflow of his love for us. It allows us to keep a clear conscience before God. Now, what is sanctification? Well, let's turn to Wade Grudem. He provides a picture of sanctification as follows. In sanctification, we desire to be a vessel for righteous use. Is that you? We desire to be effective in kingdom work. We desire to share the good news of the gospel. We desire to avoid God's displeasure and discipline in our lives. We desire His blessings in this life. And we desire His rewards in the everlasting as we glorify Him forever. Paul then wraps up Romans chapter 6 and leads into chapter 7, teaching his listeners about the fruit that leads to sanctification. And then he shares another illustration, another metaphor, using marriage. This morning, we've addressed the second question that Paul asks in Romans chapter 6. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? We looked at it under three headings, the crossroads, the change, and the course. Paul's response to this question was the same response that he gave in chapter 1, verse 1, when he asked, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? His response, and hopefully all of yours today. Say it with me. By no means. God's free gift of grace is not made greater by increased sin, nor is our freedom from slavery to sin under the law a license to sin. We have seen in our passage today that we will either be mastered by sin or we will be mastered by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So, the believer is technically not a slave to sin. But as believers, we may behave in a way that sometimes looks like it. We may stumble into sin only to stop since we are no longer who we used to be. As believers, you will continually stand at the crossroads each and every day. Will you choose sin or grace this hour, this day, this week? Will you follow the course by presenting your members to righteousness rather than lawlessness? Believer, 
Continually choose your master so that you grow in Christ's likeness. Live as a saint being sanctified by putting away disobedience and embracing righteousness. We have seen the big picture of how Romans 6 fits into the overall book of Romans. And as we've heard from the scripture readings this morning, Paul starts the letter of Romans sharing his desire to bring about the obedience of faith amongst all the Gentiles. That's us. And in verse 16 of chapter 1, he touts that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel message is not simply about God's plan to redeem us as his fallen children. It's not that simple. It is a call for us to embrace the person of salvation. Jesus Christ. When we come to Christ in salvation, we surrender our heart, our mind, and our will. Our whole person is to be surrendered to the Master. How are you doing with that? The hymn writer Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns. His hymn, And Can It Be?, captures this glorious reality of God's redemption of us from sin, along with our subsequent duty to follow and obey Him as our new Master. See if you remember these words. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Wesley finishes this glorious hymn with the hope that is to come that we all share with one another. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my loving head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown, Christ my own. Jesus Christ is the crown. He is the person. He is who we need to draw close to in sanctification. Now, if you are hearing some of this today for what seems like the first time, then I implore you, listen to the Spirit of God. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved by His free offer of grace. There is nothing we can do to add or take away from our own justification. Remember that we all come to God empty-hand saying, God, I am a sinner. I know what I deserve. Please save me. Change my heart. Call me to believe in your finished work on the cross, that you have covered my sin once and for all, that I might be alive in Jesus Christ. We pray that all God's children would come to the Father through a deep and intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ.